Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Kylan Moore, the owner and operator of Lonnie's Tire in Independence, Missouri. Kylan shares his story of recovering from addiction, and we discuss whether or not to hire someone that's recovering themselves. But before we get started, please take a moment to hit that like button if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you like our content, consider subscribing to the channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure you're set to automatically download the latest episode so you never miss an upload. And now, here we go. I get this text message. Uh, hey, 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 Roman setting up a second profile so he can keep his politics and professional lives apart? Or is he being hacked? I said, it's a second profile. You <laughs> who, hit the nail who on the do, head. No, no, that was very specific. Who said no, that one? Hang on. He says, all kidding aside, good move. His stuff was getting intense enough that I thought it would turn people off from his professional stuff. I was meaning <laughs> to talk to you about it because I was getting scared it would begin to reflect poorly on you by association. Oh, no! <laughs> 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 uh, you gotta reveal who is it come I'm on i'm not revealing that i'll send oh, it to you uh, okay screenshots or it didn't happen um oh you know i bet it was justin no it was not it wasn't no <sighs> let's see here i'm gonna be surprised john toad i've changed your name it's john, john. toad on my phone now john toad john toad <laughs> Is there any meaning behind that, or was that just a jumble of letters there? No, no, it's it's uh he he thinks he is a political activist. Yes, no, yes no, he no, does. No, 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 it's pretty bad. It yeah, is. it really <laughs> is. It's awful, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, as long you're, as you're talking about my name, my the yeah, Tom, yes. Tom it's, Jones a, it's from a song and a book. No, no, no. It's it, he's a character from from a book called the Grapes of Wrath, written by John Steinbeck. And the the character starts off very uh, 
with a very uh, certain attitude. He's like, you know, screw people. Uh, and he's, um, he doesn't see the plight of, even though he's in a very tough situation, he's he, he's poor. Would you click record? Poor, this is like fucking epic gold. Yes, it what is. What? It's no, recording. So he's he's he's. I'm always recording, bro. Sweet. I, I edit all of it out. So, uh, <laughs> but he's you know he's um he starts off a certain way in the book, but he starts to see as he him and his family have to move out west. And as he starts to move out west, and he gets to the to the new location, and they're they're struggling to find work, and they have to work on this farm, and he starts to see the oppression of the everyday man, and it changes him, and it changes him to the point that he's like, I cannot sit back and see this and not say anything any longer. And towards the end of the book, uh, uh, a friend of his dies, and the friend of his is sort of the. Um, sort of the conscience and, and you see the similarities here lucas the conscience the guy who's trying to keep him grounded and and he's like dude you're going off in left field here you have to understand and he and he's trying to give the guy perspective he ends up dying in the book he ends up getting killed and um towards the end of the book the, his mom's like hey i'm afraid that you're gonna end up dying and he tells his mom he, he's he tells hey and and every time you see a, a cop beating a guy, every single time uh, you see the the haves oppressing the have-nots, and he goes, "I'll be there. My legacy is going to carry on because this is bigger than me. It's important that I step up and do this." Uh, and he goes off, and yeah, he does become a political activist towards the end of the book. But well, um, so and and there wasn't there a song about it after the fact? Yeah, there's one bunch of songs out there. Very cool. There's yeah. a bunch of yeah, that, but it's a um, but you know, like the the first time I heard the the character was the Rage Against the Machine song, the song with Rage Against the Machine. It's kind of funny. The, the Facebook's been showing me a whole bunch of their their videos, like their old videos, and they they're avowed uh, communists. They're not even socialists. They're like they're hardcore communists. They think communism is a good thing. But the message behind a lot of their songs is very populist in nature. And it's like, it's very much, it's it's almost Trump-esque in what he was trying to do in coming in and stepping into politics, a non-career politician. And he's like, I'm going to return the power back to the people. That's the point. That's why I'm here. Completely destroy the establishment. And the, a lot of their songs are anti-establishment, not necessarily pro-communist. But them personally, they're pro-communist, uh, but their songs don't come off that way. So I don't find them abhorrent <laughs> per se well, when they're when they're singing their songs and stuff like that. It's it's a very anti-establishment type of music, uh, which I appreciate. You know, I I I've been talking a lot to Sid about this lately, and and you know, Sid has very very strong political beliefs to the point that he just can't. Like he can't shut his mouth about it, right? He he absolutely has to say something, and and I think at some point or another, I I think it's honorable that somebody feels it's so important that they need to speak out and try and and prevent this unjust that they see in the world or try and change things. I I get that. I think that's honorable, but I also think that in many ways that that there's you know, we've talked a lot about the circle of control. Like the circle of control is really important, important for me because I need the the things in my life that I can control. Right. And, and 
you ask me all the time, like, man, why are you trying to do all of these? Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Different things. Well, it's because the things I'm doing are within my circle of control. Does that make sense? Yes. Sure. Like the things I'm taking care of, the things I'm working on are all things that I can control. And if I get outside of that, I feel super uncomfortable. Because I'm over here focusing on things that I want to make happen, and it just doesn't happen. I'm the person who, like, if I'm going to fix a car, I want to go out and see the car fixed, right? I want to drive it and know what I've done has accomplished something. I'm not somebody who can can accept that my efforts were minimally successful. Does that make sense? So, like, for me, like, we're, we're down here working on the shop, and I like to go down there and see, man, we've been successful today. We've got things done. I'll get really bummed out if we've not been, you know, productive. And and just like with the numbers with the shop, David, you're always saying like, well, man, that's crazy. Why are you trying to push for numbers like that? That's that's where I feel in my heart my success comes from. It's not necessarily the number we're hitting. It's the goal. It's the accomplishment. It's It's getting something done. Does that make sense? And I just feel like so many times you, you see these political activists – it's very difficult to get it done. It's very difficult to accomplish it. Does that make sense? Oh, I I understand entirely. I, I get where you're where you're coming from, but I I think the difference though between you and I is that for me it doesn't necessarily have to be tangible. So so somebody throws an idea out there, okay, and then that's mm-hmm. what Facebook ends up being is a whole bunch of people talking and they're just throwing ideas out there. We'll get into some of your posts here in a second, Kylan. But <laughs> into the mic, dear, into the mic. Sorry. So we'll, uh, we'll you, you, people throw ideas out there. The ideas are garbage, or they're they've been debunked, or they're just out flat out wrong, or they're interesting and they need to be sort of fleshed out or whatever. I think in the engaging in the discussion is fruitful. For a couple of reasons. One, you never know if it's you putting the idea out there. You never know whose mind you're going to change. Okay. Because, and you've seen this in, in, in ASOC. 
how many people just from the discussion of how to handle this customer, how to handle pricing, how to handle whatever, have been able to learn and improve their businesses and their lives just from reading through the discussion. So that, and, and what have you really done other than just thrown an idea out there? But yeah, it had tangible results. You may not even understand, you know, the, the impact you've had in some of your posts, Lucas. You'll never know. Right. But that, that's how powerful throwing the idea out there is. Is that it can in perpetuity for forever? It's out there. It's in the. Uh, it, it's out there for anybody to see and read, and and to then learn and grow from. So just putting it out there, I think, is is important. Yeah. I, and I, then for for me in particular, it I I almost seek out the 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 rebuttal to my take to my argument. I want to see somebody take my idea on. I want to hear the other side because in doing that, I can formulate a better idea. I can find the kinks in the armor and develop a stronger armor, or I need to completely scrap it and start over, but I need to know. And that that's where like everybody gets upset and oh, like, Oh, you're just in an echo chamber and things like that. Look, I I've been kicked out of left-wing groups. I've been kicked out of right-wing <laughs> groups. Okay. I just got kicked out of one yesterday. I got pissed off because I got, and, and why did I get kicked out of the right-wing group? Because these people were in an echo chamber and it's like, dude, if you're, if you're not even self-aware enough to see what, that, what you're saying is wrong and has been debunked, like I get it there. The, the other side is you think it is entirely wrong and they might be, it's whatever. Right. But at least listen to what they're saying. Because in listening, you're going to realize that some of what you're saying is dead wrong too. Find the middle ground. Find yeah. it's not even the the compromise. I'm not I, saying to compromise. That's not at all what I'm saying. People think it's like oh, they're happy medium. It's not that. Find the best argument possible, and it I, might be a little bit of the left. It might be a little bit of the right. I, but I think it's listen. Here's the thing, though, is, is that there is a difference in in doing that and sharing your thoughts and sharing your beliefs and and being open to dialogue and moving back and forth and becoming so passionate, it affects your life, right? And and I'm not saying passion is a bad thing, but I think you can get so passionate about something. You can get so fired up and so committed that it's easy to overlook that that, that thing that you were once willing to hear someone else's perspective, that, that situation that you were willing to voice your opinion and then you wanted to hear back and get feedback and adjust and change your belief system and, and try and, and, and improve things for everybody. It's so easy to follow a path where you become so committed to it that you lose sight of the forest for the trees. Right, you become so ingrained in it. You become aggressive about it. You become super, 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 just I don't know, inflamed by anything that's different than what you think it should be. Does that make sense? Like I've seen a lot of people get that way, and it starts just like you're talking. But here, I don't think it starts that way. That that that's the problem is in in refusing to hear the other side. That's how you end up getting. And that's the, that's the problem. And, and that, that's why, that's why I got kicked out of the right wing group is because they didn't want to hear, they didn't want to hear the other side. And, and it's the same reason why I got kicked out of the left wing groups. They don't want to hear the other side. And, you know, somebody who can make a coherent argument 
I'll give you an example. And maybe somebody thought I was trolling or whatever. Jay Ha, he puts a very nice post out there about how he's been able to come into this country and overcome all these adversities and be able to do really well for himself and well for his family. And it was because he was willing to put his head down and do the work. Yeah. And that is unbelievably, unbelievably commendable. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's a, a, that is the American story. But (laughs) here we go. (laughs) Well, there's an alternative narrative and the alternative narrative by overlooks the, the fact that he's been able to succeed as an immigrant and, and do really well for himself and his family, essentially living the quote unquote American dream. They see it completely differently. And the only reason why I put out the alternative narrative, I don't believe it. I I believe very much in what he said. I think that's that ultimately is a is a meritoc meritocracy. I'm about to edit all that out. Me stumbling over that word. Meritocracy is very much a meritocracy, and and it's what America was built on. Right? Anybody from anywhere can come into this country, and if you put the work in, you have a better idea than everybody else. You should be able to succeed. Yes, and do yes, well for yourself for and your sure. family. Okay, and so everybody that believes that. Believes it not just because they believe that to be true or have been able to see it themselves. Because a lot of the people that were agreeing with this post are native-born, um, you know, white folk that live in 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 the flyover country. That that's who's like saying, "Yeah, right on." It they they are agreeing with it because it's a rejection of the other side without ever listening to what the other side is saying. Does that make sense? What's the other side saying? The other side say it says that the there are systems in place that are inherently racist and push down and prevent people of color from succeeding, and oh they're boy. built into the systems themselves. In so far as that, even if they were to try, now these specifically even more so are for native-born people of color or just people of color in general, but insofar as that even if they were to try, they were they will not be able to succeed. And then they're able to produce all these all these statistics that say, look, look at the giant disparity between those that are succeeding and those that are not. Disproportionately black, disproportionately Hispanic. You know, and so they're trying to find a reason for that. And in their reasoning behind it ends up being very Marxist in nature. But I think it's important to at least entertain the idea. Now, again, I don't agree with it because it, it you know, it almost removes agency from the individual. It's like, well, uh, there are examples of people overcoming but it almost becomes a mindset. Like if you think you're going to fail, yes, you're always going to fail. If you think you're being discriminated against, you'll always be discriminated against. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's important for the other for the for the people that were agreeing with us post to just see the other side. Let's talk about what they're saying. Are they right? Have you even considered it? And most of the time they don't. They don't consider the idea. And they won't even listen to it. They won't even entertain it. They won't even pick the holes in it and figure out where's the flaw in the argument. And that's that's where you end up with somebody unwilling to listen. And that's where they get so charged up. They get in their bubble and they're like, don't pop my bubble. And they get very upset. And if you challenge their bubble, 
if you challenge them on what they believe, it, it becomes a personal attack. You are, you are questioning their very being. And that's why they get angry and violent. And you're questioning their very being because they, they can't necessarily separate themselves from the ideas. And they have no rebuttal because they haven't considered the other side. They haven't fleshed out their ideas. And so now you're just attacking them personally. Uh, and, and that's where it gets dangerous. But I, I, just from having the discussion in a civilized manner, I think is, is paramount. That's how you break out of that bubble. Have you considered this other idea? Now, I may not always do it in the nicest well, way. That, that, <laughs> say, look, no, no, that, I do it nicely. I do it nicely. It does maybe come off sarcastic, and I'm not. It's not even that it comes off sarcastic. It's that you're so smart you don't even realize that you're. Never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. There's no, a go Cat ahead, Williams. Lucas. No, I can't say that. <laughs> uh, there's a Cat Williams skit about um, dumb, yeah, smart um, people. Yes. yes. Oh, I know what you're God. talking about. I know it. it. Yeah. He knew it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, look, my, my dad is probably one of the smartest, most emotionally intelligent individual you'll ever meet in your entire life. Right. And, um, I never appreciated that the way it should have been appreciated. And luckily he's still here and I've had the opportunity to appreciate it more. And I've much of who I am is who my dad is. Um, But I never realized how many people looked up to him and how many people recognized his intelligence and his willingness to care for other people, his willingness to overlook everything they had ever done wrong without consequence. And so a little story about my dad, um, you know, for years, my dad always told me and, and all of our parents told us there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place and, and, and there is a time and a place for everything and knowing when to say something and knowing when not to say something is extremely important. David. Yeah. And so you know, my, my dad always would tell me, he said, son, when you stop trying to live other people's lives for them, you'll go on with living your own. And I never understood what he meant by that. And it was that I was trying to interject myself into the beliefs and the, the thought processes of others, hoping that they were going to see things the way I wanted them to see things. And that wasn't realistic. So, Interestingly enough, and, and, you know, I went through some wild times and anybody that knows me knows that I'm not afraid to say it. Um, but my dad loved me unconditionally. Right. And, and my mom did too. And I, I would get so frustrated when I came out of those rough times because my dad would bend over backwards to help people no matter what. Right. And, and there was this one particular guy, he was a painter. And he had written my dad probably a hundred bad checks, right? Thousand dollars here, thousand dollars there. He'd borrow a ladder. He'd do this. He'd do that. Guy was a heroin addict and, and he would get in here and he would, you know, he would stay in one of our rental cabins. We'd have to go literally physically remove him from the cabin. And then a few weeks later, he's back up there borrowing money from dad. And dude, I would get so mad. I would get so frustrated. Like, what are you doing, dad? You're you're not helping this guy. You're not enabling, you're enabling him. You're giving him a pathway. And, and my dad just kept helping him. 
and and today the realization hit me. Um, one of the guys who works for us, he said, you know, he said, if your dad hadn't done what he did, I'd be dead. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I was struggling with three different types of addiction at one point. And he said, if it hadn't been for him willing to accept me as I was, not trying to change me, not trying to make me something different, not trying to convince me to be something different, accepted me just like I was. And that wasn't something I had even gotten from my own family. I would have never done things differently. I would have never seen the light. I would have never changed the way I live my life. And and so while I think it's important for people to hear the other side of the story, I also think it's important, and maybe there's people for each role, but I also think it's extremely important for somebody to just love them, right? Somebody just to care and say, man, you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if I'm right or you're right or I'm right and you're wrong. It doesn't matter. It's okay. I can love you just the way you are. I can accept you just the way you are. We don't have to agree for me to love you as a human being, for me to want what's best for you no matter what. Th- that's how you treat people, though. That's how- like I'm, I'm never going to uh, treat somebody poorly because they don't believe what I believe politically. I think that's that's wrong. You say like, that. You true. say that, but you get so emotionally wound up. No, 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 no. Yes, you do. Yeah, you really no, do. Absolutely <laughs> not. I may get animated. L- you listen, know, listen. like my my wife says it all the time. I'm like, why are you screaming? And it's like I'm not screaming. I'm just. I'm just excited. I'm just it's talking not, very yeah. loud. <laughs> it's, uh. it's not. It's not that I'm. Uh, I I never get overly emotional i mean i may act it out because it's it's almost um if you get animated and you get loud it's almost like hyperbolic to the argument like it it enhances the argument but it's i'll give you a perfect example is today we get a uh volkswagen cc comes in and the we're changing out the turbo the dealership sent us the wrong turbo and it's missing a, a oxygen sensor bung. And we took the catalytic converter off and it was completely clogged. This thing's been burning oil, but it's been burning oil for a minute. This thing's completely clogged. This guy has been pressing us for how long is he going to have, how long are you going to have the car? How long are you going to have the car? Sounds familiar. Like pressing, pressing, pressing. I mean, no, like obnoxiously, like this thing is, is getting out of hand. How often he's having to call. And he, it's like every five minutes we're having to explain to him, dude, we got to wait for the parts. It's going to take time to do this repair. It's a very intense repair, this, that, and the other. And you're trying to reason with him, but he just didn't understand. And then we ran into this. So we call the dealer. They knew they screwed up. They understood what they did wrong. And so they go, the The reason why they sold us the one they sold us, in my mind, I think, because what ended up uh, happening afterwards, is because that's the one that was available. And the correct one is on national back order, and they have a few kind of scattered all over the country, but they couldn't get their hands on it very quickly and, and easily. And so when we called him and said, this thing's wrong, he's like, crap. And he, you could hear him in the background kind of scrambling and talking, well, I sold him the wrong one. I don't know what we're going to do. I can't find this other one. <laughs> and and meanwhile, uh, you know, we, we don't know what we're going to tell the customer. He comes back and he tells us 
that, hey, um, I'm going to be able to put a Quest in the Volkswagen. They're going to end up buying it from one of the dealerships and then we'll then then they'll ship to us and then we'll sell it to you i said okay that's fine whatever and so i tell juan to call the customer and i said put your dad voice on because this guy is going to get upset he's going to want to talk over you and, and s- sort of control the conversation you have to control the conversation you got to put your dad voice on and he's like okay he didn't and he got completely shellacked. I'm listening to the phone call and he got shellacked. The guy was just all over him, you know, and, and accusatory in his tone and didn't believe what he was telling him. Everything what Juan said was true to the letter, to the T, exactly how it happened. And this guy just w- wasn't having any of it. He got so upset that about 20 minutes later, he walked in the shop and he's like, you need to explain this to me. And I was here for that. And Juan started to explain to him. He was a little bit more um, assertive in his voice. But I knew this guy was starting to get upset again, and I jumped in. And my assertiveness, <laughs> my animation, and my the tone in my voice, and just the way I was saying, I didn't say anything different than what Juan said. But because I was able to explain the thing to him in a certain way, fashion, tone, he was able to understand he left here perfectly happy, even though we have no idea when his car is going to be done. Cause I have no idea when this part's going to be here. He left happy. That's what matters. Yeah. But my, my point is it's, it's not about even getting emotional. It's about being as convincing as possible. And if you believe in your idea, if you believe in what you're saying is true, importantly true because if it's if it's not true if it's not objective truth then why get upset over it like i I, there's no reason to argue whether you know fruit loops is better than frosted flakes like it doesn't matter that's preference but when you're talking about ultimate truths things that matter it's important to convince the other person because you care and that's where you like, it, it's, it's not like I get emotional or, or I get upset. It's not, it doesn't, you know, I'm going to do my best to convince you of what I'm telling you, because I believe what I'm telling you is absolute truth. And I've in me in particular have examined my ideas to the nth degree, as far as I can take them. And nobody has been able to debunk it because I've changed what I've believed enough that I think I'm grounded firmly beyond any doubt that I could possibly have. And now I have to convince you of it because, because of what I believe to be ultimate truth, I need to convince you of it because it matters. It's the only thing that matters in life. And it's not just accepting you at where you are. It's not, and and I will always treat you as nice as possible, but I still need to convince you of what you're doing is wrong or what you believe is wrong because it matters. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I think, you know, what is it? Andy Andrews says at the end of the seven decisions that you hate so much that everything you do matters and it matters to all of us. That's I, such a bland platitude. I hate Andy <laughs> Andrews. <laughs> well, my, my point though is, is that, that what percentage of, 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 uh, what is it that they say? What percentage of uh, perception is reality or what percentage of reality is now perception? 
And, and because you say that, right, because you, because you believe that so heavily, especially, and, and, you know, we deal with this in the shop all the time, especially when it's something on the internet where we're just seeing text, you can't really tell. You can't really understand, well, how does David really feel about that? Yeah. Right. Because think about the number of text messages you've got that you're like, man, they are super pissed off at me. And now you call the client back and you're like, hey, super cool. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was just wondering about this. Uh, I was I was prepped for my butt chewing. You know, Yeah, but I mean, you you have to understand that going in. You have to realize that, hey, you know, this is still just you don't convey that. You don't convey that well on Facebook. That I'm not being serious? No, not at all. And most people, listen, you're so smart <laughs> that, and I, I, I revert back to the Cat Williams comments again. Yes. Uh, you're so smart that most people can't pick up that you're smart. They just think you're, well, anyway. Um, An ass. Or okay. trolling. Yeah, I mean. You, okay, you, so let's talk about that for a second. Uh, Kylan. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty bad about that. <laughs> So uh, I um, I sometimes hang out with Kylan's brother, and Kylan's brother is. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hold on, hold on, hold on! I gotta, okay, go I gotta, go I gotta, I gotta. Kylan's brother is is pretty reserved, uh, at least on the internet. You don't see him just blasting things out and t- t- putting up political posts and just things like that. He right? stays out and of it. Yeah, he stays out of it. He stays out of it. He's super nice guy, super smart, cracks lots of jokes. Everybody likes him. He does not like anything that Kylan puts up on the internet. Oh, it's Kylan. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> Kylan is a a troll at a master level. Okay, you think I'm trolling? Kylan does it you know, on to the nth degree. It's bad far sometimes. better. <laughs> What's that? It's bad sometimes, and and I have to catch myself, man, and. And oh, what was it, Lucas? We're, you know, being political on the internet and then having your business right there is ah, yeah. that's such a fine line, man. And yeah, uh, it is. Uh, okay, but I'm just telling you right now, Lucas. If you, I'll screenshot some of the stuff. I'm just telling you right now. It's bad. The line <laughs> that you think you draw, the line you think that I draw, which is much further than what you'll draw. Drive about ten thousand miles and you'll hit Kylan's line. Okay, <laughs> it's bad, and, Lucas. It's bad. But I, I think you know, like, <laughs> I think you in particular, Kylan, are in an interesting position because of the shop that you have. Yeah, is so like it's. I, I don't know. I I envy you. I do because so much of what I do, uh, is, is so it's based on relationships. And so for somebody to want to drop 5,000 and, and the ticket for, for this poor guy with a CC just went to $6,000. So at $6,000, the guy's got to have a really trusting relationship and he's got to know this is going to work out. And I'm, oh, yeah. you know, and, and there has to be so much like back and forth and, and stuff like that. Like if the guy is left wing and I start like waving, Trump 2024 flags and form like that <laughs> sours the relationship immediately oh, yeah. or the other way around. If the guy's like a hardcore Trumpist and I'm like, all right, uncle Joe's doing a great job. He's going to get upset. And so I can't, you can't put any of that stuff out there, but you, <laughs> uh-huh. 
Lucas, I'm telling you, not only not only does he put like right within within the troll post, and and he'll he'll just he'll just crack jokes um, about people and their economic choices. Yes, you can just kind of go <laughs> off and, and think about time. what that would look like. But he within the within those posts, people will start to comment, and you'll start selling tires. <laughs> Within the comment <laughs> section, it's the most it's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life, and I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. I, well, I wish I could say completely foul but hilarious things and then sell automotive repair within the comment section. You know, look, it, that, that's a really interesting point because there is a uh, there's a gentleman who owns a I don't know if you'd call it military surplus, but he makes belts and things like that, like. Uh, duty belts and gun belts, stuff like that. And um, I found it really interesting. It was almost kind of like a case study for me to follow him on Facebook because I began to watch it. And the same thing with my buddy Garrett Shields, who owns Pure Diesel Power. These guys will aggressively troll negative commenters about their business. They will share political commentary. They will say things that there's no way in hell you'd get me to say something like that on, on a public platform, right? No way. And I always wondered like what happens, you know, is this going to cause a, you know, the cancel culture or whatever it is to come and take, right. Come Mm -hmm. take them out. And, and the support that they got from people who agreed with them far outweighed what anybody could do negatively to them. And, and Garrett in particular, it's really interesting because Garrett, Garrett and I have been friends or known each other for a really long time. Um, I started the shop and, and he was doing the diesel wholesale parts thing probably about the same time I started the shop. He's been extraordinarily successful. I mean, like words can't explain how successful Garrett's been. And what's interesting about it is that Garrett will take bad reviews or post a where someone sent them a message and said something negative. Hey, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be charging me that. Are you going to give me a free t-shirt and knock a hundred dollars off or something? You know, just ridiculous comments that people would ask about a part. He would post it with their full name and everything and just like slam it up on Facebook (laughs) and like, here you go. You know, if you want to ask me a stupid question or, and I can't remember the one the other day, somebody had called and ordered a head gasket from him, asked 50 questions about it and then calls back and cancels the order. And then he's like, so then, you know, an hour later I get one, an order from one of my vendors that I you know, sell parts to, and it's shipped to the same person, you know? And he's like, you know, openly slamming the guy. And uh, in a way I kind of admire that because it's like the fact that he was willing to face that potential challenge and, you know, not afraid of the results of it. Just, you know what, whatever, I'm going to say, I don't care. And, and I, I thought that was a really interesting concept because I never expected to see something like that turn out. Is that our well. desire to be liked or at least respected or not wanting to, I, I didn't know what it is. Like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't care what other people think. But you do. But you do. You know. What, what gives you the cojones 
Kylan, to post yeah. the stuff that you do. Because uh, he's yeah. done that too, Lucas. <laughs> he's done the exact same thing. Some guy stiffs him for 40 bucks that, hey, he lets him go. And, hey, I'll, I'll hit you up on Friday, dude. I'll hit you up on Friday. Friday rolls around. Two weeks later, you see him rolling down talking about how he just picked up the new Xbox. And, and Kylan's like, dude, where's my 40 bucks, man? And then you see him blast them on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man, hilarious. It's, it's difficult, man. I mean, you got to it's just it's just like being political you have to i mean and like lucas your your guy there you know i admire that for him to take a screenshot and and be like this guy did so and so and this is this is exactly what i said to him and some of those people have such a following that it won't matter it will actually gain them business for that guy blasting another guy oh yeah exactly you know and exactly. and that's exactly i I'd, I'd have to uh <laughs> David will have to show you. David, you remember when I did the uh, twelve steps to changing a tire? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Uh, okay, I'll have to send it to you. Well, I did a photo shoot and I didn't have a whole lot of clothes on during the photo oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. It, it was great though, man. <laughs> it blew up, dude. It blew up. It was like twenty something hundred shares on Facebook and every. And I did this about three years ago. And every now and then I'll get a notification about somebody commented on it or somebody shared it. And I didn't get, I've got zero, zero bad feedback for it, except one time somebody was like, oh, old so-and-so would be rolling around in their grave. And still to this day, I have customers that come say, hey man, aren't you the guy that took your clothes off? And like, it's crazy. Like you would think something. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Something so negative like that you think would would destroy your business, but it did nothing but help. That is, you know, and and I I think I've. But see, I think you could do that, Lucas. You could pull that off. Listen, I don't think so. (laughs) If if oh, it was great. If if I had ass cheeks hanging out and everything, everything, man. (laughs) No, I I promise that will absolutely result in a very bad response from all involved. I, you know, and, and I would say the same about David. David, whatever you no, do, no, it would not go that. well for for me at all. Like, is, is it the area? Is it just <laughs> I'm at, we're in a an overly uptight area? I mean, I'm yeah. in Johnson County. Like, it carries a reputation, dude. Yes. Hey, listen, there's a lot. I need to clarify this, okay? And I, I need everybody listening to hear this. If you were one of my local friends in this community, and you just heard that. He's not talking about Johnson County, Tennessee. (laughs) I promise you that's not what he's talking about. I have tons of respect for folks in Johnson County, but I just want everybody to know that when he set up tight, he wasn't talking about Johnson County, Tennessee. No, no, I was not. No, our area. Well, your area, not mine. Yeah, he's in Independence, Missouri. Yeah. Which carries a reputation, at least around here. Yes, it does. But I, I think part of that is the area as well, man. I think that's why I can get away with so much of that. But because the business has been around so long, my face isn't isn't established with that yet. So I, I'll still have I'll be out there doing the work myself, and I'll still have people that that wonder who owns it or who runs the place. So they don't quite know it's me, oh. which is which is great that that works out because one, I want to know what they they think about the business before I step in and say, oh yeah, I've been doing it for this long. So I, I want to know that what they think, and then if there's anything I can improve on, and I, and I try to, I try to make that look. To, to me, it's about optics, about what I look like. I don't, you know, I 
I don't have to be down there getting my hands dirty, but I do. And I want those guys to understand that. And I want the employees to understand that I'm not just some schmuck that comes in here once a day, takes money and leaves type of deal. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Dave. Just tell me how much money you made today. That's all I want to know. <laughs> don't get me involved. No. That's the dream. Yeah. Where's right. Where's but, my money? <laughs> better have my money. <laughs> but where's my money, bro? Where's my money? <laughs> but Gordon. all of us know that it doesn't quite work like that. No, no, it doesn't. No. Not not always, at least. I mean, it, there's there's guys that that are in ASOG, Kylan, because you just joined. There there are guys in ASOG that uh, are sitting on three, four, five, six shops. Boy, I mean, they absolutely <laughs> do not go into. I mean, they might go to a corporate office where they have a support staff for their six or 10 locations. And that's a, that's a completely different type of model than, than what we're doing. Oh yeah. I'm not knocking it by the way. That's no, no. He's knocking. I I heard the knock. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I did too. I heard what's wrong with it. That's not fine. I didn't. I don't know. We we know you hate the corporate world, Dave. It's okay. It's, it's yeah. Well, I got out of it for a reason. I, I don't. When when you're talking about automotive repair, like I, I know it's scalable because there are a lot of people that have successfully scaled it. Oh yeah. But there's a there's a certain level of craftsmanship to automotive repair that, for me personally. I would find it really difficult to scale and do so and and be comfortable with it. Does that make sense? Be comfortable with the work going out the door. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not not, willing to lie, cheat and steal to get what you want. (laughs) Well, I mean, you are, but not that, not that bad. No, 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 no. That's that's my point is, and it's, I'm not implying that, that I I know some of them do like cheat and seal. I, you see it when, when some of these customers come in and they're like, oh, they told me this. Uh, and, and it's just not true. Um, and it's not even like, it's it's not even misdiagnosed things or, you know, they're just, they're giving the customer wrong information and they may not even realize that it's wrong information, but they should know better than to say it so confidently. They should at least admit that I'm not sure, uh, and not, not paint that picture to the customer and make the customer think that they absolutely need to do this, that, and the other. But at the same time, you know, I, I also don't want to be the the guy that says, Oh, everybody is out stealing from the customer. I, I have this, um, this Facebook group, it's ask, it's called ask a mechanic and the, and it's in the last like few months, it's like quadrupled in size. You know why? And why is that? It's because when we created the ASOG podcast, Facebook page, uh-huh. it added me as an admin to your group. And I've just been approving everybody. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get the notification. No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a I, I shut down the comments because there were a lot of like uh, spammy comments that were coming through. And so if they haven't posted or they haven't previously approved to post on there, they have to go through, through me for me to approve their, their comment or their post if they're, they're posting for the first time. So 
but there there was somebody on there that there was a discussion about uh, a brake job. Some gal got a quote for like $1,500 on her vehicle and she, or $2,000, something like that. And it was like brakes and ball joints and this, that, and the other or whatever. And this guy gets on there and he's like, some shops double dip. They, there's no reason to charge for a brake fluid flush. And we don't even use the word flush, but a brake fluid flush when doing brakes. Because all they have to do is, you know, pump the brakes a few times and top off the master cylinder. And that that was the guy's comment. And I've been, you know, keeping an eye on what he's been saying. This and he thinks himself a mechanic or whatever. But what he said was flat out wrong. My three thousand dollar BG whatever machine that I have to roll over and put two bar of pressure on the master cylinder in order to be able to bleed the brakes. <laughs> at all on this on this Volkswagen or some manufacturers that you have to have run the automated bleed procedure with a scan tool and also have pressure on the master cylinder like Ford, right? You have to have 30 PSI of pressure on the master cylinder. Plus you have to run the automated bleed procedure for the stupid thing to get the air out of the system. What he was saying was absolutely wrong. That costs money over and above doing the brake, the, the brake service. You're putting rotors and pads on this, not the same thing. This is a different procedure requiring a different skill level, different equipment, everything. It's different. I need to charge for that. He didn't understand it because he's not in a professional environment and he doesn't see the cost. He just thinks, oh, home mechanic, I'm just going to pump the brakes. That's not the way it works. And so I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who says, oh, they're just double dipping. No, I'm not double dipping. But I also see the shops that are double dipping. <laughs> <Yeah. go. laughs> Absolutely. Well, that, that that's why my like hesitancy and and I, I don't know and in in seeing shops scale one yeah. location to two locations. Okay, I get it. Three locations. All right, all right. Four, uh, five, six. I mean, is it? Come on now. Is it even? Is it even necessarily locations? It, 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 you know, you've said it before. It can simply be, you know, turning a blind eye to the new service advisor, right? Yeah. Turn, turning your head. And, and you know, um, a lot of it, I think, comes back to culture and, and teaching your guys what you, you know, what you believe is right and doing the right thing. But, you know, even then, a service advisor may not know what the right thing is. Yeah. May not know what the honest and ethical thing is. The tech comes in and says this, you know, those are ethical dilemmas I'm faced with, right? And, and you know, let's be honest. I, I was thinking about that when you said that. I think it was three weeks ago in one of the recordings. You said, you know, and the shop owner just turns a blind eye, right? They, they're just like, oh, I don't want to hear it. Just do what you do. And I think, you know, here I am. I'm, just hit I'm, the numbers. Right. The I'm numbers, down here yeah. trying to work on the shop and build the new shop. Am I, am I having too much lenience and I'm not paying um, attention? Am I not? You know, and, and little things like that I stress about, you know, we have situations in the shop that the guys come to me and they're like, Hey, how do you want us to handle this? And I have to stop and think about it. Yeah. It's not as simple as just saying, uh, just whatever you think, yeah. you know, no, like you got to think about what the right thing is. And sometimes even when I do what I think is right in that moment, I go back later and I'm like, damn, that wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. I wish I'd done this instead. For sure. And so you know, I, I don't think it's as easy and, and, you know, you take the owner out of the equation, right? You take the owner out of the equation. He's not on the front counter. He's not in the shop every day, man. It becomes really, really hard 
to keep the shop ethical and doing what it's supposed to do. You, you know what it really comes down to is what? is the the level of skill and quality coming out of one location where the owner's involved, even if you don't have the most skilled technicians. If you have a own technician turned owner, they're the final line to ensure that that vehicle leaves in in a good condition. Exactly. Does that make sense? That's one hundred percent. And so, because they're involved every single day, they don't need to have the best technicians. Now, as soon as you start scaling, now you have to ensure that the best people are working for you. And people can say, "Yeah, I've got the best people." But that doesn't scale. The best, quote unquote, best technician does not scale. Right. By the time you get to the third or fourth or fifth or sixth location, now you're no longer looking for craftsmen. You're looking for production guys. You're looking for minimum level of a uh, uh, minimum acceptable level of performance. That's it. And now you still have to sell like you've got the best technicians ever. You still, and, and you, you heard it in that training class that you were in, Lucas, sell your technician's expertise, be confident in, in the, the expertise of your technicians and their abilities. Be confident when you're talking to the customer that, yeah, our guys know what they're doing, but that may not be true. So you may not be outright lying, but you may be disingenuous in telling the customer to them though. <laughs> what's that? They actually said the words, just lie to them. Just lie. And it, oh, God. <laughs> See, they really that's said my that? point. Yes. They really yeah, said in the training. That. And, and, oh my God. and here's the thing. Like, so, so this happens all the time, man. I'm telling you, this happens all the time. These shops, these shop, um, service advisors, they, they're under a certain amount of pressure to hit numbers because again, the owner is just reading financials. Oh, that's yeah. what they're doing. They're reading financials and they're like, Hey, I've got, I've, they're, they're looking at their KPIs and this service advisor is underperforming. So now the service advisor is, is under a certain amount of pressure to, to sell. The only way you can sell effectively is to be confident in what it is that you're selling. And some people can compartmentalize that in their heads and they go, it's just a paycheck. It's just a paycheck. It's just a paycheck. They know that that person, those technicians, three, four, five technicians in the back are not good technicians. But they still have to sell like it is. And that's I think that's where the disconnect is. Where if that shop owner was in the business, even if those four or five technicians were not the best, they would ensure that the quality of work leaving was still as good as it could possibly be. Because the owner would care enough to know that this not, you know, my my comebacks aren't just a percentage of on the PL. My comebacks matter. And, and it's because I want to make sure the customers trust me and they know that we are skills, skilled craftsmen and that we are putting out the best possible quality work where once it scales, now it's just get it in and out, produce the number. And as long as your comebacks don't go over this line here, we're good. We're going to make money. Everybody will be happy. And then they and we'll go out and do go-karting on the weekends. <laughs> What's that? Then they learn to, to manipulate that line. Right. They, they learn to manipulate the comeback line. And, and here's the thing though, is, is, you know, in a way to the customer's expense. Yeah. Oh yeah. To the customer's expense. Well, who else's expense? Well, Well, they'll they'll (laughs) eat it to a certain point. They'll eat it. We eat a lot of stuff, you know, because at the end of the day, it's like, 
okay, I, you know, it was either my mistake or I didn't quote it out properly. It was like some level of incompetence on our end that I'm not going to penalize the customer for. Okay. Well, it, it's, here's the thing is it's super depressing, right? I mean, let's be real about it. It's super depressing and, and it sucks because, you know, you want to grow, you don't want to be in the shop all the time. It's hard to find technicians. So I can understand how it can be a really kind of like, man, this is a bummer of a situation. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like automotive repair, just, I don't, I don't know how you can say, yeah, it scales. Right. Well, I mean, it scales, but you have to give up a lot of stuff. Like, well, and, and even if, if you don't want to scale, right. Even if you're just going to be a single facility or, you know, if you want to go on vacation and you, you can implement processes and policies and procedures, things that minimize that to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not it's not a foolproof way to fix it, and if you have a culture in your shop or you have a situation where techs would be okay doing something like that, man, really quickly you can get into a a, a nightmare of a spot. And well, that's even, what I'm saying. Like once, if you stay small, and and that's very relative. I'm not talking one man band, or I'm not talking yeah. two technician, or whatever. If you stay relatively small, it's easier to find super high quality people because you're not filling five technician spots you're filling one okay well now where i had to hire all five of those guys before i don't need to hire all five of those i just need to hire the one and then build them up to a certain level where you're comfortable letting them go they're gonna make the right decision regardless well so here's what i was gonna say though right so so you you've got a choice right you you generate more revenue right which i think everybody could could stand to generate more revenue. So this is one of the things we've talked about. Um, Terry that works for me is an amazing technician and Terry gets super bummed out and he's like, man, I, I didn't turn enough hours. I'm like, dude, I'll put whatever hours you want on something, but you need to come talk to me first. I can't do it retroactively. You've yeah, got to come talk fact, to me so yeah. I can do it first. And, and I always talk about Terry is more of a restoration technician. You know what I mean? Like he is so thorough. He's like, I just yeah. want to know it's right. I just want it to be perfect. And and I go back to what Rick always said is, is perfection is a lie told by the devil to steal the dreams of men. It, it wasn't, you know, and he always says, listen, there was only one perfect human being and we, cru- uh, we crucified him, um, <laughs> you know, and, and he was always telling me, look, you're trying to make these cars perfect. They weren't perfect when they rolled off the assembly line. Yeah. Because I was always really focused on quality and making sure it was right. And I was spending so much time making sure everything on it was perfect yeah. and I wasn't charging for it. So I think there's a way to charge for that. If you want to configure in that way, I also think that there are ways that we can build systems. Like I said, that, that, you know, ensure that we are still taking care of the client. But now here's, here's what gets me is that in many, many situations, what I believe is happening and the reason that I believe we're having all of these negative uh, reviews of shops, things like that, is because if you go back and look, the consumer wasn't educated. They just knew something didn't work. They just knew things weren't going the way they expected them to go. They just knew that they were unhappy with the car because this happened, right? Remember the story about the Volvo that you told? The whole rear differential deal? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and it really, at the end of the day, played out to her not having the knowledge that she needed about her automobile. And it's not her job to have that knowledge. Yeah. 
it, it's our job to be explaining that and giving that information. But at the end of the day, it still didn't freaking matter. Yeah. They did everything right. It still didn't matter. So what do you say to the owners who say, I can do a perfect job. I can make the automobile 100% perfect and they don't care. Or I can make the automobile 50% perfect. They still don't care. I could, I take just as much risk of getting a bad reputation, a bad name, taking a bad hit as Ooh, doing. That's a good it, counter argument. Yes. Having half ass making, you know, 10 times the amount of money. Now I'm not saying it's right. Don't misunderstand. But how do you, do what's, you what's the I'm rebuttal? Going? No, I see the argument perfectly. You're right. He's technically correct. <laughs> and if, if, the, if the consumer, you consumer know, can't tell the difference, uh, you know, this is the, this is the, the big hoopla with ADOS, dude, we, we've yeah. been talking about it. The, the customer doesn't know the difference. The shop knows the customer doesn't know the difference. Now, with ADOS, it could be potentially life-threatening. It could be dangerous. But well, there's no lights uh, on. Hold up. You, you, no, I, I, I want to I bring up something. And I, I have toyed with this. I've thought about this over and over and over again. I've mentioned it to other people. You said something to me four weeks ago. We were talking about um, a specific training class. And you said, the truth is the truth. There is no other. There is no gray. There is no yeah. multicolor. Yeah. It is black or yeah. it is white. It is yeah. the truth is the truth. There is no alternative to the truth. It it has that is what the truth is. Yeah. How do we do that in a world that's so dynamic? That's difficult. That really is. How, how we it, when truth is moving and 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 when the consumer goes to Bob down the street and Bob tells his truth, you've told your truth, and now they take it to Steve down the street and Steve tells his truth. Yeah. Which truth is true? Well, that, well, that's not the point is that there's either truth and it's not Steve's truth. Absolutely. It's, well, so really what it comes down to, I, I, I don't think there's a good. It's no, perspective. No, no, no. Each it's not person perspective. can have their own perspective. No, there, no. But one person's going to be wrong. I'm just truth. telling you, one person's going to be wrong. That's Where absolutely I think true. The, I think but the, the rebuttal. way they describe the truth. Because they I, believed I think, it. Yeah, it, it's a different perspective of but your... I, I don't think that deep down they know. Deep down they know. Deep Dude. down there's an ulterior motive. They, something has stepped in the way. They'd like to tell the truth and then they're like... But I won't get the sale, so I'm going to say this instead. No, no, now, no, no. Hold up, hold up. I, I want to reframe this because you're not seeing where I'm saying. Okay. Let's say a client comes into your shop, and you say, "Mrs. Client, it's not our fault that wheel came off." And Mrs. Client goes to another shop, and that shop says, "Well, they just worked on it. It's clearly their fault. The wheel came off of it." They're not. Now, saying they may not understand. Right. Well, hold they on now. That, not, that is not a true statement. They don't know. Exactly. Well, that's my but point. From is their it, perspective, it, their it, their perspective is I'm going to try to to get the sale. I'm going to convert that customer. That's what the the Volvo dealership did to that lady. It they're is, they're like is that, maybe they're not trying to do that. Maybe all they're trying to do is hey, I really think this guy tried to take advantage of you. Hey, I really think this person tried to rip you off. But what they're if not they truly selling. believe that. They may truly believe it, but they're not, they're not making true statements. They can't tell, they can't know 
without a shadow of a doubt. Statement. What's that? That they no, don't the, they, have the knowledge to make exactly. A true so how could they be saying anything at that point? Then they're just they're they're saying things that they don't know to be true. They may be true, but they have no idea, so they really shouldn't be saying anything. But and that, that's say, where you see, run into a problem. And that that so you have you have you've come full circle to my whole point. That they shouldn't be saying anything. Well, they shouldn't be saying anything, but you got to say something. How do we navigate this? Well, I, I mean, I said all the time. The like, I don't know why your wheel came off. The wheel came off. Like, did this shop screw me over? I mean, I've had, I've had people bring me invoices and you look through it and you're like, looks fair. I don't know that I would have done it this way. That's what I tell customers. I don't know that I would have done it this way. They should have, if it were me, I would have added this part and this part and this part. And I would have charged you for this, this, and this differently. And it would have, it would have turned out to be more money or less money or whatever, but it's, it's a matter of opinion there. Now it's my perspective, but it's not, I'm not saying it objectively true to tell somebody that, yeah, I was intentionally, that shop was trying to screw you over. You don't know what was going on. You have no idea. So you're, you are being disingenuous at the very least. And that's being charitable to say that disingenuous to the customer for whatever, whatever your motivation is. You should you shouldn't be opening your mouth. You shouldn't be saying anything. You should be deflecting, if anything, or just flat out coming out and saying, "I just don't know. I can't tell you that for I, sure." That's what that's what they were trying to do. And I I agree, right? But back to your point, because you 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 laid out a very good counter argument. You know, I said I we need to have, in my opinion, you cannot have skilled craftsmen in the bays. And then scale that because at some point you're going to have to fill the base with somebody and you're going to start lowering your minimum acceptable level of performance to a certain point where you can still remain profitable. And so the work that's leaving, like you're saying, customer can't tell the difference between perfect and 50% perfect. The car still runs. And so the 100% perfect, you're not going to make the money and you're not going to be able to scale at 50% perfect you're scaling and making the money and the client doesn't know the difference. and the client doesn't know the difference so so, so that's the, why a lot of shops have made the decision that yeah i'm going to go 50 percent because that makes sense the math works out so, and it does the but, and but, i i don't have a rebuttal to that that's a fantastic argument we were just talking about arguments and, and trying to derive truth from the arguments i don't have an answer to that that argument the only thing i can say is that if my technician, whoever that happens to be, if I have 15 technicians, 25 technicians work for 100 technicians working for me, if I can't say unequivocally that that customer or that that technician did to that car exactly how they would want their mother's vehicle or a loved one, a, you know, right. a wife or husband or grandma's car to be, to, uh, they didn't leave it in the condition they would want grandma's car to leave in. If I can't say that unequivocally about absolutely everybody in my organization, then I would scale down well, because for me, I can't sleep at night. Yeah. And I can't either. I can't either. But, so we will never have the boats. Well, and, and I don't want a boat, so it's okay. I don't well, like You can boat. have a boat. It's just going to be a piece of shit. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, it's going to be a dinghy. It's going to be a little John boat, which is fine. Yeah. It's still a boat. No, David's going to need one that you blow up. Yeah, um, mine will be a raft. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> going to have to be a big raft. Um, <laughs> a, big, a big raft. You know, fence posts and. 
and <laughs> some rubber tires and yeah. So he- here's my other thought though is that that a ha- you can't police that right you, you you we all know that we would want the very best for a loved one right but you can't you go tell a technician that and you can't police it it's very difficult and it's it's very dynamic and it can change and and their mood and the way things are happening and yeah but uh, hold on hold on hold on you can't police it but if you've got people in your shop where you're like oh my wife's car's coming in or my mom's car's coming in or grandma's car's coming in don't have johnny work on it give it yeah. to ricky ricky will do it right well, why do you have Johnny working on anybody's car? Yeah, he shouldn't be in the shop. He, he shouldn't, shouldn't be, be in your door. shop. But right. but he's making you money and the comebacks are eh, minimal, but he, you know, sometimes he breaks things, doesn't put clips back, you know, doesn't route the the line properly, doesn't route the the wire loom properly. And so there are there are problems with his work that the customer never catches that you know about. You don't want that guy touching your car, but the other technician you're okay with. That yeah. that's where that's you're like, point. well, hold yeah, on. Yeah, that's now. a very good point. And I agree with that. And and so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just come back around to the fact that people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Right? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. For they sure. work with people that they have a relationship with. And so I think A, that relationship is so important. And I, I think the realization that things are going to go wrong, things aren't always going to be fixed, right? We're all going to have problems. Standing behind it and fixing it when it's done is the key, right? Like if, if something goes wrong, we're just going to make it right. I, I I don't know. I've struggled with this, guys. I really have. I mean, I don't know the right answer. But here's the thing. Like this is like, I don't know why you would struggle so much at your shop. Because if you've got, if you've got Eric or you've got Terry and you would have either one of those guys working on your personal vehicle or your wife's vehicle Absolutely. or whatever, then, no then there's All no three of my guys, no questions asked. Well, then there you go. Same. And I'm the same way. All three of my guys, I have absolutely no problem handing my keys to, to, to any of them. And they've all worked on my car in some capacity. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure about Brandon, but I know Chris and Nick both worked on, on my personal vehicles. And I have no problem with that. And I don't babysit them and I don't watch what they're doing. I trust them. And therefore, I trust them with my, but if I bring a fourth guy in, I got to know I trust them. And if it's a fifth guy and sixth and seventh, I've got to trust all seven. Otherwise, I'm not hiring that guy. And I just. And so, hence, you hear my struggle because I'm getting ready to have to hire people. And, and, yeah, and it's almost them. scary to me because it's it's a culture that is very, very important to us. We are a family here. Yeah. Right. We, we really take that very, very seriously. And so a, we're getting ready to change that dynamic for one. So that's a, that's a little scary for me, yeah. but also I sit back and, and let's be real. I'm, I'm looking at these, these shops that I've always looked up to and read about in the magazines and, you know, we and talked found about out how they were getting trained. And then you find out how they were getting trained and some of the things that they talk about, some of the things that they do. And I can't help but look back and, and question. And all of a sudden, and they, they turned a blind eye to it or they dismissed it. And they're like, well, it's not like that. No, no, it is like that. You're either ignoring it or you're 
obtuse to it or, or you don't care or, yeah, they, you know, none of those are good answers. Well, any, any of when, them are going to bother me. Listen, when you have an industry expert who comes in and says, no, no, it's okay because, right? Yeah. And they excuse it away. Yeah. And the next thing you know, they say, well, that that's not really what it meant because of this. And you keep putting another answer. You have an answer for every time. Yeah. You take away the right is right and wrong is wrong, right? Yeah. Because that, that you know, I talk about my dad, his morals, his his personality and what a good human being he was uh, is and, and has always been to everybody in his life. And and when you talk to him, there is no in-between. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And we all make mistakes. And we all do things the wrong way. And we all, you know, yeah. that is life. But there is no... You know what I mean? There's that's that's the extent of it. Right is right, yeah. and wrong is wrong. So I, I don't know. I struggle with that. I, I struggle with looking at these people who who do that, and I think that they get convinced into that. Now I, I've talked to some people about training classes, not not one particular training classes, but lots of training classes, and talked about some of the things that um that we've experienced and heard about and. You know, I was even talking to one who ended up leaving a coaching company uh, because of some of the experiences we talked about and talked about the way some were being trained. And he went back and reviewed material from his training classes he had been in and was like, you know, I turned a blind eye to that. They were talking about it's this class and you take what you want and you don't take what you don't want. Yeah. And I thought that made it OK. So I just overlooked it. And now I'm looking back thinking, man, I'm not okay with that. I can't be involved with any of it if I'm not okay with that portion of it. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a weird scenario for sure. I was, uh, oh, what was, I was over there actually at Dave's shop earlier today to grab this microphone from him. Cause I've, right. every podcast I've ever done, has been on my phone. So it hasn't been anything quite like this. And, right. uh, he was showing me around over there and, uh, uh, they they redid the back porch. I don't know if he told you about that or not. Yeah, he sent me pictures. It's pretty. It, it nice. looks yeah, it looks great, and he got a hell of a deal on it too. Of course, right. and, uh, <laughs> yeah. He go. He was showing me. He was like, "Yeah, this this place over here is going to be the bathroom." <laughs> so of course, that's the bathroom. Coincidentally, is right behind his office. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, so um, I I I hate to bust his bubble. So my new shop, my office is going to have a bathroom in it. My wife's office is going to have a bathroom. What? Yeah. And then we're going to have a uh, client bathroom in the front. And then we're going to have a tech bathroom in the back. That That's honestly, that's a great idea to keep all that separated. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, I think it was Alex Knoll the other day who told a story about um, using the client bathroom and what a terrible experience it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll have to make sure I find that and send it. Oh, that'd be great. And I mean, there, and there's a level of professionalism with that too, keeping those bathrooms separate. Cause I, I don't know about you, man, but I cannot keep my text to keep that bathroom clean for the life of them. Dude, it is really tough. And you know, we've actually got somebody who cleans the bathrooms and when they're cleaning, they typically clean it three to four times a day. Oh yeah, man. And, I believe it. And even little stupid things like keeping the trash can clean. Oh. It's a white trash can. And then it gets black fingerprints on it. And mm-hmm. then you get hand cleaner all in the sink. And somebody yep. walks in like, somebody threw up in your sink. That's hand cleaner. It's hand cleaner. 
you know, the best way to handle it's walk in, dip your finger in it, and stick it in your mouth. Go, yeah, that's how you do it. I tried to dance right tire. That's I, I man, I would love to have that. I'd love to have a separate bathroom for clients. That would be awesome. Yeah. That that's what we're working towards. I don't know exactly how I'm gonna handle the advisor situation because you know they're gonna have to use the client bathroom if they uh. want to be close. <laughs> But, you know, the, the tech bathroom's not that far away. They can just walk in the back. It won't hurt them. That's uh, in, enforcing that, too. Because, you know, oh, yeah. I, had to, I really had to go. I couldn't walk that extra 10 feet. I'm going to send them to my wife's bathroom. There you go. The other thing is, is so supposedly, like, you're supposed to have, I can't remember the exact calculation, but typically a bathroom fan can be 100 to 150 CFM and still meet code. Really? Um, and it, even for a fairly big bathroom. So I have taken care of this. We're putting 500 CFM fans in the <laughs> so much so that you're lucky if you come out with your clothes. Just about to say, you're going to have some um, negative pressure there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Like suck the doors in. Um, hopefully the it doesn't suck the water out of the toilet. Yeah. Um, just to, just to get the smell. You, we, we put, uh, um, that chemical brothers stripper scent. The smell of success. You ever seen that? <laughs> uh-uh, I no. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's, why do I have a $220 bill from the gas company? We haven't turned on the gas in months. Um, it's a deposit. That's what that is. <laughs> hey, it's your wife trying to murder you. Apparently. So it's, it's a, it's a scent. It's chemical? before the chemical brothers uh, or yeah, chemical guys, chemical guys. Sorry. Yeah. Chemical guys. Um, they they had the scent before they they started getting distributed in Walmart. Before they they it was distributed in Walmart. The the smell it it's like, um. Well, now it's like sandalwood or whatever. I'm trying called. to find it. Um, but it was it was um, uh, it was it was stripper scent, and it, <laughs> on the bottle it was a silhouette of a stripper, and <laughs> the bottle said the smell of success. <laughs> I found it on Amazon. Yeah, it's my, no, it still has a stripper on it. Well, that so that's their old bottle. They don't sell that. Oh yeah, anymore. yeah. It says yeah, same yeah. great scent, new look. Yeah, and so the new the new look is is uh, is different because they started getting uh, picked up by Walmart and uh, yeah, signature scent, smell of success. It doesn't. It's not uh, stripper scent. Anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a bottle of that, and that's what they they spray the bathroom when they come out of the bathroom. They destroy it so badly; it's like stripper scent. So it stinks like stripper every time you walk in there. <laughs> Might have to give I'm that a shot. A couple bottles right now. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. It smells so bad. It's, it smells like like cocoa butter and glitter. Oh. <laughs> Tons of reviews. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna spray Eric down with it and send him home oh <laughs> like to his wife. <laughs> Listen, I man, it, it was so bad. Throw some glitter on him. Y'all know what liquid ass is, right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liquid okay. ass. It's like a, it smells like fart. Yeah. No, nah, dude, a, a fart does not describe this. Well, okay. Um. Eric came into the office the other day and it was like, he had just foobarred everything he had touched. And he came in and he's like, got this smart ass attitude and he's picking on me and telling all these jokes, blah, 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 run his mouth, you know? And before I knew it, Shannon looked up at me, he's sitting in his desk and, um, he, he looks up and he kind of, you know, nods at me and I'm like, what? 
And all of a sudden, Eric's standing there just running his mouth, and Shannon hands me this bottle of liquid ass. And before I realize what I've done, I've walked up to the back of Eric's head, and oh, I have sprayed no, all of the so hair on the wrong. back of his head. Oh. Eric's dry heaving, right? Bridget comes in. She walks through the cloud, and she's like, what, what is that? What is that? Eric, my God, what did you do? You know, because she's the one who has to clean the bathroom. I, I look over. Shannon's got tears streaming down his face. The phone's ringing. I'm like, Shannon, just leave it. Just don't even try to answer it. Because, like, every, I'm dying laughing. He can't breathe. He's hyperventilating. Terry's coming through the door wondering what the hell's going on. Eric's like, fuck you, man. So he's going in the bathroom. Bridget's like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. So it, it's just a terrible, terrible scenario for all involved. And I turn around and look, and there's two clients walking in the door. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I revert back to what I learned as a child. And my dad always did two things that I remember. Um, he would He would let one rip at the front counter, and him and my mom would be standing there. So he'd let one rip. And if he saw people walking in, he'd walk off and he'd just <laughs> stand there. So I didn't know what else to do. I just walked off and I'm like, well, Shannon, good luck, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> you know? So like two days later, Eric comes in. He still smells like it. He's really oh. super upset about it because like it got in his hair and he's like, man, he's like, it's not so bad when it's in your hair. He's like, I sprayed what hair I have left with brake cleaner, wiped it all down. You know, he couldn't like, wash not- it out. Is it that bad? Dude, when you get in the shower and you get it hot, it it smells like you just pooped in the shower. Oh. It really does. I mean, it is extremely fragrant. I'll make sure I spray David with it at AST. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I found it on um, Amazon. Twenty eight thousand reviews. Holy shit, dude! It's hey, go watch some videos about it. Yeah. Oh. 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 <laughs> you should. Hey, just go watch some videos. You'll get. It. You'll understand. Oh man. So Nathan Bryan posts on. Um, on ASOG about hiring an addict. And he said, would you hire an addict if you could, if you had the opportunity, the right person, maybe had the right experience, whatever. And overwhelmingly the answer was no, they would not. And so the reason we have Kylan on is so he can tell his story. And I want to know from him, would you hire an addict, Kylan, or a, you know, a recovered yeah. addict? Recovering, Would yeah. you hire one to work on your customers' vehicles? Would you trust that person to work on your own vehicle for you? What's what's your take on this? And, and tell your story. Tell, talk about what happened to you. So, uh, try not to jump around in the story too much, but. You know, addiction is, you know, that's a touchy subject with a lot of people because some people believe heavily in it. Other people think it's my body, my choice kind of shit. And and that's fine. It's it's whatever you believe, you know. Um, but I, I am actually this December, I will be 10 years sober. So that is a great accomplishment for me that it's that's awesome. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah, congratulations. Thank man. you guys. And 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 the the height of my addiction, I, I had a bad heroin problem. I you know I I did all the typical heroin thing. You guys had uh, a few weeks. I wouldn't say a few weeks. It's been several weeks ago. Dusty. You guys, yeah. Dusty, was that him? There was talking yeah. about it. Yeah, I remember that. And you know I get it. You think like an addict, and 
and I hate to say it, but the thinking doesn't go away, but in a, in a good way, it doesn't go away because you can recognize the patterns of other drug addicts and other, other alcoholics, any other addict in their life. It, you know, it doesn't even have to be drugs or alcohol because it could be any, you could be addicted to skydiving, anything like that. You could recognize those patterns with those type of people. So it actually, to me, it helps me judge people. I, I hate to say to judge people, but it helps me judge somebody's character a little bit better if I know that they are, they were once an addict or if they're still struggling with it. And, and I think that falls back on if you, if you believe addiction is a disease or if you just think it's a choice and it depends on how you're educated, you know, that's, it's, to me, it, it, it's, it's a disease. It, it got a hold of me and it got the worst of me and uh, about, so you, you can go into as much detail as you no, want. No I problem. find it fascinating. You tell as divulge as much as you want. I've, uh, you know, uh, I'll get to it, but man, I've, I've watched my girlfriend sleep with another man for drugs. Like it got that bad in my life. And at the time that's, that's fucking normal. That's normal for that. You know, I've seen other people do it. Why wouldn't I do it? And you don't realize it until you step out of it or you're pulled out of it that you're like, Oh my God, that is not normal. It is not, that's not a lifestyle I want to live anymore to be involved with that, to be involved with people like that and to do things like that. And, and I, I was miserable. I, I'd work my 10 hour, eight hour days, come home, get high and sit on the couch and I'd venge out. That's, that's not a life. You, you don't live like that. You, you, I, I used to call it autopilot. You you're on autopilot when you do things like that. And, and it was a struggle for me. I, I did it heavily for about three years. Um, until I actually overdosed twice, uh, Dave's familiar with my father. He spent a lot of time with us when we were younger. Uh, my father, I was living in a duplex. This is 10 years ago. I was living in a duplex and I was getting high with my girlfriend at the time. And I, I don't remember, but I, I overdosed. I collapsed on her. Uh, she panicked. She didn't know what to do. So she called my parents and they came over and they picked me up and they took me to the hospital. And I woke up and my father was carrying his son's body into the hospital. And, and to this day, I can't even imagine what that was like. You know, I, yeah. I, Dave, David has girls. Uh, Lucas, do you have any, uh, yeah, I got a little boy. Little you got boy. a little boy. Can you, I can't, I, I don't know. I can't yeah. imagine that guys. Well, you know, so I'll tell you, looking back at some of the decisions I made, right. Because I, I went through some wild times. Oh yeah. And you know, I, I man, I'm telling you what, when my little girl was born, I called my mom and my dad with tears in my eyes, and I said, I'm sorry. I never realized how much you loved me. Yeah. Because you just don't understand. You 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 have that child, and all of a sudden, things change, and the perspective changes. And I think when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to see the other side. It, it Addiction becomes what you are in a lot of ways. It becomes the focus of everything you do, and and you lose focus on on anything else. If that makes sense, you don't ever think beyond getting to the next spot where you can achieve that. Exactly. That's you don't think about friends, you don't think about family, you don't right. think about relationships. Nothing. You don't think ten years from now. You think ten minutes. From you now. you. I I tell my employees this all the time. I said life gets a hell of a lot better when you stop thinking about Friday and you start thinking about Monday. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's, and that's where I was. I was in that bad place in my life where I needed a paycheck. I need, I needed Friday every day needed to be Friday. And 
and and you know those guys were talking about they wouldn't hire that and to me i'd sit down and i'd ask i'd ask questions i'd want to know i'd want to learn about you what made you stop you know because i i believe in addiction everybody has to hit bottom and if they haven't if they're they're still doing drugs they haven't hit their bottom yet sometimes that takes losing every single thing like dusty living on the street sometimes that's what it takes you know and uh but i was i was blessed i was Thank God I was blessed with the support system that I never ended up like that. Uh, you know, I had a loving family that it, now that, you know, my Lucas, my father's just like your father. He loved me unconditionally. And right. dad, if I need 20 bucks, it, all right, here's a 50, you know, don't spend it all at the candy store kind of shit, you know, right. and, 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 and they love me. So I was never, I was never that bad, but I still did. And I witnessed a lot of terrible things. I stole from a lot of people that I shouldn't have done. I hurt people. You you know, I just, earlier I said, my girlfriend slept with a guy, you know, it was, it was terrible, man. I took, I took my girlfriend to the guy's house. I used to buy pills from him. I took her over there and I, they were going to quote, hang out unquote, but I'm not fucking stupid. She's not stupid. The guy's not stupid. I knew better than that. I I took her over there with a hundred dollars I pick her up in 45 to an hour later, she's got $300 worth of drugs. Like where the hell did you get the other $200? What did you, what service or good did you exchange for $200? You know? Well, and, and here's the thing is I think that, that on the other side of that boys, does the conscience weigh heavy, right? Wake up 3am, wake up 2am thinking about it. It, Lucas, it doesn't, man. Like I didn't, now it weighs heavy. Like, I, I don't talk to that girlfriend because she she never got sober like I did. So I, I, I see her occasionally and and I had just like your father, I had I love her, but I love her from a distance, you know? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Well and, and you know, I guess that's my point is that that you know, you see that and you have those consequences. Did I lead that person down that path? Did I contribute to that path? Did you know I took advantage of someone? And, and you come back later and you look at those situations and those scenarios and you say to yourself, God, I hope nobody remembers that, man. That is so embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. And and I think that, that somebody who is truly clean, who's truly been through that, knows better. Yes. Right? They know the true cost. Right? But the, but the reality is it takes sobriety to see the true cost. It does. It takes absolute sobriety. Now, you know, look, I, my big thing. Is that I to this day somebody will walk by me smoking a cigarette? And I'm like, oh man, I'd love to have cigarettes. You know? <laughs> um, and and I understand that it's always a challenge. So so in my community, we had a a meth epidemic, right? Everybody. Oh yeah. I mean, people you'd never guess. Yeah, yeah. Lost really, everything. Really good at hiding it, man. Really yeah, good. Absolutely. And it really affected a lot of people. And I think the thing was is that that. You know, if you turn your back on all of them, if you say, no, I won't hire any of them, A, that's a large portion of the population that you wouldn't hire. That's a lot of people that, that as a society, we've let go down the drain. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it like that, but unless there's a support system, because a lot of these people didn't have support systems like your dad was for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there to, to catch you when you fell and to help bring you back from the brink. Right. And so I think as a society, is it society's responsibility? No, it's not. But can we turn our back on them? Now, 
I'm going to tell you something. We, we have been through a deal where I've hired family members or hired people and given them, you know, odd jobs, that kind of thing who had been in prison and they came out of prison completely sober and all it took was one person coming and finding them yep. to lead them astray and their life to go back downhill. Lucas, right? that's, Oh, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. So that's, I spent, um, I spent 45, roughly 45 days in rehab and, and I learned, and I'll tell you right now, man, rehab doesn't do jack shit unless you want it to. We don't, yep. anybody, if you want to change, you're going to change if you want to, not because you yeah. have to. And, yep. And that's, I, it was, I spent Christmas and New Year's in rehab. And I'll tell you what, man, that is still the best Christmas I've ever had in my life. Yep. You know, and, and the, but the day you get out, they, you know, they shake your hand, they congratulate you and all that. They tell you that you have to change your playmates and play places. Yes. And that's, and that's yep. exactly what happens, man. It, just like you said, it takes that one single person to come around and bring them right back into that same lifestyle. Yep. And, and I've hired, I've hired, uh, uh, I've got a couple employees right now. They're actually in halfway houses at the moment. And, and I worry about that every day. If one of their old, uh, one of their old buddies is going to show up at my shop and just say, Hey man, come out here and look at this and, and then distract my employee for five minutes. And that's the only five minutes that's going to screw their life up again. I worry about that, yeah. you know? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, one of our employees who's actually, one of our other businesses employees, RD, you know, he said today, he said, listen, he said, um, he said it was a personal decision for me. He said, I had to make that decision and nobody else was going to make it for me. It was my decision and I had to decide. And so my question or my thought is when it comes to hiring somebody, I don't know that there's a way as business owners or business managers that we can know where they're at in that process. We can have that conversation. We can talk to them. I, I think more than anything, a, a recovering addict needs structure. Yes. And needs expectations. Here's what I need you to do. Here's when I need you to do it. Here's what time you're to arrive. Here's what time you leave. They need to be uh, given a little bit of lenience, right? Because, or leniency, because, Man, I'm telling you what, just like anybody that's tried to stop smoking cigarettes, you try and stop other things too. Man, that's tough. Yeah. You know, I I man, I, it's a it's a tough call whether you should hire somebody who is just recovering from addiction. I I don't know. And you're you're absolutely right structure there, Lucas. We when I was in rehab, they gave us they gave us jobs around the I don't want to say compound because that sounds terrible, but there was a, they had four or five little uh, cabin house type deals. And and in each cabin house, you had a roommate and uh, you know, they, they let you have a vacuum and uh, they would give you jobs around the area. So during breakfast, uh, a couple of the, uh, a couple of the people there, they would cook the breakfast and then a couple more different people, they would do the dishes. Uh, I used to raise the flag up and down every, uh, every morning, every night. And they gave you that job to get you back into structure and back into yep. a routine of, of, of living life and being a productive member of society, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, but there's a large number of people who suffer from addiction. Yes. People right? that and, you, you and, wouldn't even know. 
Exactly. And, and man, that is a miserable, miserable being prisoner to something. I, I think that's the only way you can attribute that is, is being prisoner to something. Oh, but yeah. you have to have it. You don't have a choice. You have to have it. Your mind says, I have to have this. Um, and, and coming away from that can be a significant challenge. Um, I, you know, I, I think to hire or not to hire comes down to stage of recovery. Stage of recovery. Yes, I agree there. Where are we? David set off the fire alarm. Uh, actually, I think that's me, guys. I'm so sorry. Hang on. Oh, you're, dude, you don't have to be sorry. Just make sure your house isn't on fire. Uh, no, it's a food dehydrator. Hang on. Give me a second, guys. David, are you awake? I'm listening to this. It was fascinating. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was just really worried that David's might what, cut what off. What are you dehydrating? Uh, actually, it's for the 3D printer. Um, so, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, filament. See, I didn't, you know, this, when you dive into, I'm trying to get sidetracked here, when you dive into a hot ocean, sorry, dive into something like that, like 3D printing, you learn a lot about it that you, average Joe doesn't know. And apparently the plastics that you use, or hydro, I always screw this up. Hydroscopic, scopic, yeah, scopic, like uh, brick fluid. Yeah, yeah. It, it absorbs, absorbs moisture. Yeah, and if you pull, once you pull this plastic out of the vacuum package seal, you only have so much time before they absorb moisture, and you cannot print with them. So they recommend actually a, a cheap food dehydrator. You stick it in there for a few hours, it pulls the moisture out, and you're good to go. That's not ass. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> But uh, anyways, I'm sorry. I got off track there. Um, so did you say you would hire an addict or you so, wouldn't? So, yeah, it, it depends on where he's at. Just like Lucas was saying, depends on where he's at inside his recovery, you know? So I've never, like, I've never messed with anything. You don't like, have that over there. Weed, like nothing. Oh, right? oh you. That would really help. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. A little <laughs> bit of THC would probably turn I, you I, down a touch. I smoked cigarettes when Look, I was like I think it'd make it worse. 18. You think so? Uh, man, because you know, some guys are, it mellows them out. I think it would make Dave worse. I, I think it would. <laughs> See, there you go. So quit pushing it. All, all I'm saying is, so I've never been around any of it. And I've had I've had employees when I was in my parts store days. I had this one guy that, that was the one I can remember just off the top of my head because he stole a lot of money from the, from the store and he would, he would come in like super tired. He was such a good guy too. He would come in super tired. He would go into the bathroom. He'd come out glassy eyed and then he would be wired and he would be running a hundred miles an hour jumping on like, Oh, Mr. Customer, I can take care of that. And he was, he, he was winning customer service awards within his first few months of being uh, at the store. But all of a sudden money started missing and his girlfriend would come in and would always have like big, thick sunglasses and she was always really thin and she'd be like, no, I, I just got to talk to Josh. I just got to talk to Josh. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Josh would come out, talk to her or whatever. She'd go away. I mean, he was, he was stealing money to feed their addiction. I, I get it. That's what was happening. But I mean, I didn't know <laughs> and you didn't. You didn't want to think that's a, that uh, that's what happened, but my mind just didn't go there. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. if I hired somebody that was previously an addict, where you're saying that you could identify the traits, you'd be able to yeah. see, hey, something's yeah, up. Exactly. And, and you I can, wouldn't. 
and but that's not i don't know if in my area i i get that a lot man i mean i'm not gonna lie dude one out of five customers is a crackhead yeah. i had to say that i really do but that's no i don't i listen i i don't think it's just your area and and i i think the same is true for employees i, I think there are more addiction problems than we could ever imagine Mm-hmm. And I think anybody that's experienced addiction or seen it in their families, man, they know the warning signs. Oh yeah, they yeah. see it, they pick up on it. You see the client that comes through the door, and they're scratching, and they're you know they're getting the twitch, and they're glassy chewing eyes, man. That's what I look for now. Glassy eyes. Now, yeah. Glassy eyes. I mean, maybe a stoner, and and yeah, I mean. There's other stuff too, but I mean, if they're chewing on their earlobe, I know for a fact. <laughs> but if they spend well, money, had, <laughs> like when I when I lived in Central Illinois, we had a lot of tweakers would come in, and you knew they were on meth, and half the time they stunk. Oh yeah, like meth. Like you knew what was going on. I'm not. They were super obvious. I'm talking about the people that would spend 15, 20 minutes in the bathroom. You knew they weren't taking a crap, and so, but they would come out with energy. And glassy-eyed. I mean, the pupils are typically the telltale sign of that. The pupils, okay. yeah, yeah, if they're huge. So is the is then is it a matter of you having been an addict yourself? Therefore, you know the behaviors, you know how they're they'll act. You'll be able to tell. Oh yeah, exactly. What's going on? So you're more apt to hire an addict or a a recovering addict because you can keep an eye on them. Or is it like, oh, I don't even want to be involved. Like, I know how they all are. I'm not even going to bother. I, I mean, I, what, what approach do you take? I, I knew where I was and, and the things I did, you know. And, and I, you have to, you know, like Lucas said, it. it, it I, I can't say yes and no. I That's difficult. It, it depends on where they're at and their, their recovery, man. And I always say recovery because it's it's a slippery slope. I fuck up tomorrow. I'm, I'm done, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's, so what do you ask? You know, I guess, what would you ask where you, I'd ask how long they've been sober and, you know, certain people trade addictions for one thing or another, you know, sober off what? Okay. Well, never mind. I don't need you if you're going to tell me that, but yeah, I'm, I'm living in a halfway house. I've been sober six months from now. I'm trying to get a job. And that's, you know, in certain circumstances like that, that's, it's honorable for those people to tell you that right off the bat. I'm in a halfway house. I'm getting sober. This is my situation. I'd rather know now than a few weeks from now when I've hired you, I've put time and energy training you sure. and then you fuck up royally because that's usually what happens. And so, so I think I, I would start there. I try to figure out where they're at in the recovery. If they've been sober three days, uh, okay, you need to go somewhere and get help for a little bit. Then come back. If you have, three, four, five months, you're still, you're still not there. You're still vulnerable. You're still looking for answers and you're still probably reaching out to people you shouldn't be talking to. So I, I think it's difficult to put a time on that. It's difficult to say, okay, he's been sober three years now. He's good to hire him. You can't, I don't think you can do that. Yeah. There's not a time. And, and you know, the thing is, is, is the guy who's picked up and said, listen, I've moved away. From all of those influences, I, I switched towns. I came to a different area. Do they I'm, say I'm, that though? I've yeah. a, I've actually uh, what was it? The last guy that I hired, a really good kid, man, bust his ass. His name's Danny. He uh, he said he just moved up here from Springfield. He had to get away from all that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and 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 I think that's that's a a pretty big step, yeah. right? It's a scary step for somebody like that. Um, but I think things like that are true tales. The fact that they're really trying to get away from it. Um, I think that that the openness and transparency about it. Transparent, yeah. They teach you that in I, rehab, man, to be yep. transparent and to, uh, damn it, be predictable, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think just like you said, though, I think as a business owner uh, who's serving clients, we have a responsibility to our clients and being around those people who face those addictions because let's be real. I, I remember hearing a statistic at one point when they were talking about meth saying less than 1% of those who use meth will ever recover. Right. Is it really and, that, that dire yeah. 1%? Yeah. It, it, it's pretty bad. Dude, that's right? nuts. And so if, if that is the case and, and I know a lot of people who have recovered, so I don't know that that's accurate. I, I, I think in the, the group of people that I know, I think that it's higher than 1%. I would say 15%. It's still but, depressing. Well, I mean, here's the deal is I think you've got to be super careful. I, I don't know. Man, I, I hate to say you shouldn't hire them. I hate to say that, that somebody shouldn't get a chance. But I've got family members, man, that they have never and will never, ever come away from that. They have no interest in changing. They could be a productive, good employee. It doesn't mean they'd be a bad employee, but they're not reliable. Yeah, not reliable. Yeah. And and that that's the biggest thing for me. It's not that they're stealing. It's not that they're they're, you know, using drugs while at the shop or something like that. It's they're not reliable. And one of the biggest things that, that an auto repair shop needs or any employer needs is I need you to be reliable because I'm depending on you. And that is an area that they suffer. It doesn't mean they'll steal from you. It doesn't mean that they're going to be out here doing crank behind the shop. It just means that they're probably not going to be nearly as reliable. They're going to be very apt to up and change or say, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't have to and dip out. And if you've got somebody that you truly need to depend on, especially in the first five years of sobriety, whether it's alcohol, whether it's meth, whether it's heroin, whatever it is, I don't know that I could advocate for putting them in a frontline position where you need to depend on. Not frontline, that's for sure. I, you know, I've I've seen guys with two weeks of sobriety last a day. I've seen guys with six months last three days. Not frontline, yeah. and that's the reliability thing. Then that's what. That's what fucks us all. You know, you, you know, we're not, we're not scaled up. There's not 12 employees. There's four or five of us. And when one of them goes missing, that screws up the whole day. Yep. You know, exactly. And, and, you know, I think if you put systems in place, so let's say you want to hire somebody like that. Okay. Um, you, you have to be here at this time. If you're not here at this time, this is the consequence. Hey, um, you're not to have visitors. I'm not to have visitors. What in the world are you talking about? Not we're not doing that. Let, mm-hmm. let me be really clear with you. you. You're here to work, and and I I've I have said this to people, and and they'll say, listen, it's not your job, and you can't tell me I can't have visitors. No, if if somebody if in your family, if it's an emergency, something like that, that's one thing. They can call the shop. You call right. the shop. They can call oh, the yeah. shop. Mm-hmm. They can reach out. But I don't want you to have visitors because you've expressed to me that you truly want to recover. I've been down this road before. 
I don't want you having people coming out here. So I right? think that, that that kind of approach is very pragmatic, right? You're trying to give the guy a chance, but you're trying to put boundaries in place to protect yourself, but also extend a helping hand out to this person. I'm incapable of it. I've never been down that road. I haven't experienced it. I don't know what to look for. I don't know what's what's overstepping boundaries. I don't know what's excessive. I I think I think the realization that I just came to in this conversation is is if you've not been an addict or you have not worked with someone who is an addict, then you should not hire an addict. If you if you don't have a family member or something like that, you don't have specific training or have experienced it. I don't think it's a good idea. It's not because you do, yeah. you won't you won't ever. I don't want to say understand, but you won't you won't be able to put yourself in their shoes for a few minutes, you know, especially exactly. with reliability thing. Like, you know, I got employees that have never, never touched pot and they don't understand if the, the former dope head doesn't show up or why, you know, they, they don't get that stuff. So it, it puts you in a hard position too. Like, well, why'd you hire him? You knew he was going to do that type of deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing is that if you don't know the signs to watch for, you don't know when to back away. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know when to say, "Man, hey, listen, I can tell. I already know. What are we going to do here? Yeah. You going to rehab? You going to get some help, or are we going our separate ways? Right? Because there's a very fine line. Look, helping people is one thing. Enabling people is a completely different thing. Yeah. Because if you begin to enable someone, you're doing far more harm than you are good. Right. By keeping someone on and continuing to give them money when they're going through something like that and they come in and say, man, I just need to. Is there any way I could just borrow a hundred dollars, just a hundred dollars? Can I just yeah. get a hundred dollars? Well, I'll, I'll go get you some food and I'll fill up your car with gas. No, no, no. I just need a I just need a hundred dollars cash. No, he ain't getting it, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Like it, until you understand that scenario and know the things to watch for and hear the things that they're talking about. And, and the problem is, is that if you, if you're not watching for those things, then what ends up happening is, is then you say no to them and you don't know that, Hey, now I need to be thinking he might be stealing from me. Yeah. He might be taking shop supplies and selling cans of brake cleaner, you know, whatever it takes. And, and that doesn't mean he's a bad person. You need to understand what addiction does, what addiction makes you think and the, the thought process it creates. And that's really, really hard to do if you've not been in those shoes. That's, you know, he's not, he's not stealing brake park cleaner to get, to get at you, to get back at you for not giving you the cash. He's stealing that to feed his addiction, you know? And, and I've been there, man. I've been, I hate to say that, but I've been that fucking employee that's done terrible things to my boss so that I could feed that addiction. And like I said, at the time, it doesn't have anything to do with him. I don't, I don't give a shit about him. I need this money. I need this product. I need to do this to make sure that I get high tonight or else I'm screwed. I'm going to feel like shit and I'm right. not going to come. Well, the, right. The money doesn't even seem in, in a scenario like that. I don't even think that the money seems like it's valuable. It's not. The money doesn't seem like anything. It, it It's just a, it's just a piece of paper. Yeah. Right. It it's it there's no thought about the money. There's no thought about how it affects somebody else. There's no thought about what it's doing or the reputation it'll create for you or the fact it's illegal. All of the thought is getting the reward. You know? And that's that's the hard part about it, man. It's like like you said, you just there's no value. 
to that dollar at the end of the day because it's getting passed along to whoever to to feed your addiction. Yep. So that's yeah. So that's difficult to say. I I think we need to do a case study. We'll find some some folks who are who are in in an addiction scenario, and we will have David hire them. <laughs> there we go. I, I told you I've hi, I've hired addicts before. I had no idea that they were using. I didn't know. And you know, after the fact, look, the guy jacked almost a thousand bucks out of the drawer and I couldn't No, I, I covered the first hundred, the first 50, the first, okay, whatever. Like you short the drawer, you take it out of your pocket, you put it in the drawer. You know, you don't want to think that this guy that keeps coming up with this sh- short on his drawer is stealing from you. And so you sit down, you're like, this is the second time that you've been short on your drawer. What's going on? You have a, a heart to heart, you know, you can tell that, look, I'm not stealing from you. I promise I'm not stealing from you. Uh, you know, I've had grown ass men crying, yeah. telling me that they, they didn't steal from me and they swear that it's, you know, I don't know what happened. I just need to slow down and count more carefully. And then a few weeks later, $700 comes up missing out of the drawer. And you're like, well, I can't. I can't cover 700 bucks. Like there's going to have to be an investigation. We're going to have to do something about this. You find out the guy was using and was stealing from you. I don't, I didn't know to look for the signs. Like I had no idea. I really didn't. And you always want to think the best of people. That's the other problem too. Yes. You're always trying to think the best of, of somebody. And well, the, certainly that's not the case. Certainly that can't be happening. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm a terrible candidate for that. <laughs> well, and and do you think that that's why so many shop owners have gotten this? You know, we we talk all the time how um, shop owners are always quick to respond and they like, I'll just fire them. Yes, just fire them. I've noticed just that. Just fire them. I, I do you think it is just because they have experienced so much of that? They have been burnt so much. For some and, of them, and, I, I think it's just easy to say uh, fired. You know, they haven't, it's not their shop. It's not, you're not going to end up shorthanded. They don't have that emotional. Yeah. They don't have the attachment. You don't, you know, it's, it's always easy to say, ah, let them go. I think it's really difficult to let somebody go. Extremely difficult to to let somebody go. You don't want to, you want to find every excuse to keep them on board, especially now. And I I think that's why this conversation is, is so interesting is because I think for any shop to succeed in the future, it's not going to even be the shops that have the best locations. It's not going to be the shops that have even the best marketing. It's the it's the shops that can retain and find and retain the best talent that are going to succeed now in this current job market and in the future. So all of a sudden the 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 pool of applicants if it was short before, it's going to get even smaller now. And we just went through this pandemic where addiction kind of exploded, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so technicians that maybe were working at a corporate store got laid off, got to sit at home for 18 months, maybe got hooked on something. Maybe they got uh, popped and they ended up going to jail. Now they're out of jail. They're trying to get clean. There might be talent there. What do you do with those people? There's you. You need them. They're they're talented. 
but they're also former addicts. They're trying to get clean. And and that and that happens, man. I mean, I, I got a guy right now. He's God damn. He's a great employee, man. But he's he's an alcoholic, and 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 that's that's fine if he wants to live his life outside of work. That's fine. But when it starts to come into work, that's that's when there's an issue. And that's but man, he's a hell of an employee. That's <laughs> and and that's where it gets tough, right? It, is that you, you build an emotional connection with somebody? They do a really good job for you. Really, you know, you need them. Um, but you know, it, it, I think the attitude always goes first, right? When, when addiction, because somebody, somebody can truly be a functioning addict. Oh yeah. All the right? time. You can be a, a fully functioning alcoholic. You can, you can be a stoner that can come in and, and you wouldn't believe the number of people who smoke pot every day. Right. I mean, you just wouldn't believe it. Um, it's legal across and, the and country now. <laughs> Exactly. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with no, that. No. But I, I guess my I guess my point is is that when it when it crosses that border, when it goes from just being, hey, he's a recreational user, to now he's screaming at other staff members, to now he's showing up an hour late, and he's talking about he needs more and more money every single day. You know, it's one thing right after another, man. I, you've got to know the warning signs. You've got to know when to say, Hey, what's going on? We need to handle this. You know, you've absolutely, absolutely got to know what that looks like before you get yourself in that situation, because you will get into a situation. I mean, you could even have somebody disgruntled and that, you know, that is definitely not something you want in your shop. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOC podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player.
and don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.